We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter. New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. Today we're coming to you on a special night. The Giants have moved to 5-1 and one with a home victory over the Baltimore Ravens. Once again, underdogs. Once again, down in the fourth quarter by multiple scores. Once again, they come back to win this game. Nick, if I had told you two months ago that three days ago I was predicting the Giants would beat the Ravens. Now, I didn't give them enough credit for how good and strong they've been in the red zone at turning those opportunities into touchdowns. And I predicted a field goal fest, 1916. But if I told you six weeks ago, I predicted they would win to go to five and one, and they actually did win three days later, you would have told me you're a complete idiot and probably an a-hole for ever thinking about this and a homer. And you would have been at the time. I would have thought you were right. I would have thought I was crazy. I would have thought maybe I had done too much of those drugs. As Stephen A. Smith said, lay off the you-know-what. But you know what, Nick? There is no reason to assume I'm crazy. There's no reason to assume that I need to lay off anything because the Giants are 5-1. and one. I predicted they would beat the Ravens, and they did. It was an improbable way. This was not the way I expected them to win. But if they just keep f- continuing to find ways to win these football games. And now they move to 5-1, and one, and already next week, they're underdogs against the Jaguars, the 2-4 and four Jaguars. The Jaguars are home, but I myself have already taken the plus money line, which don't say I'm a jinx. Whoever's listening and thinking that because I've bet the Giants the past two weeks. So don't act like I'm a jinx because then you're not accounting for everything. But Nick, we're here. We're five and one. I can't believe it. My friend texted me this week. He said, do you think the Giants have a chance to win this game? My friend, shout out Dan Egro. He said, the man listens to every pod. He said, do you think I have a chance to win? I said, yeah, I really do. He's like, don't play with me like that. Don't mess with me. I was like, trust me, I really feel like they're real. And he's like, we'll see. We'll see after this game. Well, now what? Now that they won this game, they're real, Nick. They're here. They're real. And as she said, they're spectacular. And by the way, they're real and they're spectacular. Yes, Dan, they are real and they are spectacular. I absolutely love it. And I got to say, man, we were optimistic about this team in the preseason before the injuries. And then we kind of pulled back a little bit. But we were optimistic, Dan, because we looked at the schedule. 
it's not just the schedule. The New York Giants aren't winning football games because of the schedule. They just defeated the Green Bay Packers in London. They just defeated the Baltimore Ravens at home. And I don't even want to hear the excuses Rashad Bateman wasn't there, all that kind of stuff, because Daniel Jones is thrown at David Sills and Richie James. And I got to say, it was great to have Wandale Robinson back. He made plenty of big plays in this game. I'm sure we'll get into that throughout this podcast. But this New York Giants team is real right now because of the coaching and the coaching putting these players into the positions for them to have success. They are literally maximizing every little bit of potential out of every single one of these players. I don't remember necessarily the last time a Giants coaching staff has has really done it like this. I guess you can probably go back to the Coughlin days and say that he did that throughout his time here. But you want to talk about just getting the most out of every single player. That is what Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, and Wink Martindale are doing so far. I think we can say this moving forward. When we reference like that is what Brian Dable is doing, just assume that me and Nick are referring to this as a collective. Brian Dable, Wink Martindale, Mike Kafka, the position coaches, coaches, Bobby Johnson, there's plenty to be named that deserve credit. And so just assume it is that. But I will say this, Nick. Brian Dable is obviously right now the clear-cut frontrunner for Coach of the Year. There's no way to really argue around it. Some people have said McCarthy. I understand he's dealing with a backup quarterback. But the talent level across the roster cannot be compared with the Cowboys and the Giants. And the Cowboys won games last year with Dak Prescott when he, yeah, before Dak Prescott's injury. But the difference here is that not only is he the frontrunner for Coach of the Year, I think at this point, just looking at this objectively, Nick, I wanted to kind of throw this to you. What teams have you watched at least? And we can really judge this mostly on the Island games and then what we've kind of read about and seen. But what teams have you seen this year that you feel like have giving, are giving their players a bigger coaching edge than Brian Dable? Because, I mean, we're looking at another game where it's like they found a new way to win this game. This wasn't really like the other games. This wasn't really like the Titans game. This wasn't really like the Packers comeback win. It was a different kind of breed. I mean, look, let's be honest. Before the very end of the fourth quarter, the Giants had a massive probability to lose. I think according to a stat that uh, Justin Panic tweeted out. They were like, looking at this chart now, they were above 70% for the entire fourth quarter as far as uh, percentage chance to win, win probability. Oh, the Ravens were. The Giants were 30% below. And then out of nowhere, the Giants pulled this one out of their ass. So, I mean, who is giving their team a bigger coaching edge when you consider the talent right now across the NFL? Honestly, you got to look at, I guess, the Bills, but that's because of their talent, and the Chiefs are also because of their talent. Now, Andy Reid, you can't really take anything away from him, but even like teams that were going into this season that we thought about in high esteem, like the Chargers and teams mm-hmm. like that, like I look at their coaching staff and I laugh that that's the point that we're at right now. Because like you have Justin Herbert, and yeah, you're, you're having injuries, but I don't even want to hear about injuries if we're kind of juxtaposing the New York Giants next to your team, because the Giants are a very beat-up team at right. the moment, yet they are still winning football games. So if you just want to compare coaching staffs with teams like that, the Chargers, it's like, no, like their coaching staff is holding them back, if anything. Like our coaching staff, the New York Giants coaching staff, that is, they're doing an excellent job winning these games, or at least putting their players into positions to execute. And then the the players are actually executing, Dan. And I got to say this too, man. And I'm not saying that the Giants are lucky or anything like that, but it just seems like lucky situations are falling in favor of the New York Giants at the moment. Like the Ravens are making stupid mistakes. They're taking stupid false start penalties. They're getting a dumb 15-yard penalty on Adafe Owe for, uh, what was it, uh, unsportsmanlike con- like stupid stuff like that that are going against them. And then the best part about it is, that's on the Giants' opponent, but the Giants are finding a way to make them pay after they make their stupid mistakes. Like The opportunistic style of this New York Giants team, not even just on defense in terms of getting the sack fumble, getting the interception, but also making teams pay when they make stupid mistakes, that is one of the bright spots. One of the bright spots, I feel like, so far throughout this season. It's something we've kind of seen every single game so far. 
Yeah, every single game we've seen it. I, I was kind of trying to debate this in my head, Nick. The Bills are interesting because they have so much talent. I really wouldn't put them in that in that group. To me, the teams that could probably have a case for it right now are the Eagles. you got to love what Gannon's doing on defense, and I think they've really done a better job on offense, too. They become more pass heavy yeah. as they always wanted to be. So much uh, talent, though, do so much talent, true. So they're yeah. not. I would say the Giants are doing a better job coaching than them because the Eagles have more talent. So they, I wouldn't put the Eagles ahead. They're in the mix for me, um, and also not even just like so much talent. But part of it is I want to give them credit for their offensive line coach. I'm forgetting his name now, Stoutland. Stoutland, and, and all the Eagles offensive linemen say during the intros were like we're from Stoutland University type of thing. They're just kind of giving him credit for how great of a job he's done. And it's obvious. I mean, look at Mylotta and all these guys and how they've progressed. But like you said, there's more talent there, so they don't do it for me. You could say the the Cowboys. That's the one that has a good argument. Dan Quinn's doing an incredible job on one side. Kellen Moore's doing an incredible job on another side. Mike McCarthy, whatever. I don't want to give him too much credit for something he doesn't deserve. But those two coordinators have done an incredible job. I mean, look, they've won a lot of games with Cooper Rush. And we can see tonight, especially on that pass at the end where CeeDee Lamb was wide open and Cooper Rush just threw a terrible ball that was intercepted. Like, that ball just can't be there. You can see that they're working with nothing at quarterback. So, they would be the only argument for me right now that I would say, and this is not me saying Coach Dable is the best coach in the NFL right now because people are like responding to that tweet like, oh, what about he's got to do it longer. He's got to prove it. Andy Reid. I'm like, I'm not saying who's the best coach right now in the NFL. I'm saying who's doing the best job right now coaching. The Giants staff might be doing the best job through six weeks so far. And I think it's fair to say they are doing the best job through six weeks. I can't think of I couldn't think of a single other other team. I mean, Belichick. Obviously, that is in the mix with Bailey Zappi. Whenever you have to go to a third-string quarterback, you deserve credit for winning football games, right? The Jets, we got to give the Jets credit for winning football oh, yeah. games. Not like they have an incredible amount of talent. But the best team, I think, is the 5-1 and Giants because they've beaten the Ravens. They've beaten the Packers. They've beaten the Titans. So I would, I would have to give it there. And I think right now the Giants have the best coaching edge through six weeks in the NFL. Yeah, and that can always change. And like we said, man, there's so many teams that are going to be watching the film and adjusting to what the Giants adjust. I feel like there were a couple of times in this game, Dan, that you were probably watching the tape, correct me if I'm wrong, and you saw Kafka do something, you're like, I know exactly what he's doing. Like when they were down in the red zone yep. and they did the quarterback draw, but I like the little adjustment that they had on it this time. If you looked to the bottom of the screen, they ran a slant off of it too. So Daniel Jones does the quarterback draw off the fast three to the boundary side. He actually had a slant. I think it was Marcus Johnson or Darius Slayton, but he ends up getting kind of like sack tackled at the line of scrimmage, whatever you want to deem it. So even then after we were like, oh yeah, we've seen this before. It's like, oh wait, now they add this little wrinkle to it that Daniel Jones could have kept it. And if that linebacker pinched up, he could have just turned it right into an RPO and threw it for a touchdown. Yep. And you're seeing wrinkles with, I mean, every week you're seeing new wrinkles in the offense. The run game obviously didn't get going as much. We'll get into some of the, the specifics there. But I think something you mentioned that's interesting to me is like there is something to it. There's no science behind this take. So it's just kind of a field take. But there is something to when you're a team that has ha done what the Giants have done, and that's win three games trailing by 10 points or more, which, by the way, is tied for the most in franchise history. This is a stat that I saw. I'm trying to give credit to who's put this. I'm sorry if I don't give you credit. This might have been CBS Sports that tweeted this. So, But the only times they've ever done this in franchise history were the 2016, when they made the playoffs, 2011, and 2007. So that's a fun parallel. But more importantly, um, my, point to, my point that I'm trying to make is when you are a team that does win three games, three of your first six games after trailing by 10 or more points, there's a different feel on the sideline, I would imagine. 
Like I have never played football, but I would imagine there's a different feel on the side than when you do fall behind and it's the fourth quarter and you're not used to losing these types of games. You're used to actually winning these types of games. So now you're expecting to win this type of game and you're not panicking. And, you know, Saquon Barkley made a point of this in the postgame press. He's like, I got to give credit to, to Kafka. He didn't panic when we fell down by a decent amount of points and start to like go into pass heavy mode, spread it out. And he stuck with the run game. And obviously they didn't really spring anything too big in the run game, but it helped the Giants and helped them stay balanced in this game. So I think there is something to having the experience and the preparedness of actually being through those games where you're trailing by 10 or more and making this and making the comeback to win. There's easily something to it. Just think about it from a human element, not even just a sports element. If right. you've done something several different times, the likelihood of you understanding how to do it again is, is greater. And that's exactly what the New York Giants are doing. And like we said a little bit earlier, they're taking advantage of opportunities. Like Lamar Jackson bobbled the snap and then got flushed out. So Julian Love essentially saw all that happen and then just baited Lamar Jackson into throwing yeah. a pass that he had no business throwing. That's just an excellent individual play by Julian Love, but it's also piggybacking off of the fact that the Ravens were a mess on offense and made a gigantic mistake and Lamar probably should have just threw it away instead of trying to force something and that's the first turnover and then the second turnover is Kayvon Thibodeau coming through big with a sack fumble getting his hand on Lamar Jackson and forcing that fumble where Big Cat jumped on top of it and it was at that point man like I, just to talk about it from like a fan's perspective mm -hmm. when the Giants entered the the fourth quarter they were down by 10 and I'm sitting there thinking at that point like even though the Giants have, have been comeback kids so far this season I was, I was pretty bleak at that point. I was like, I don't know if the Giants are going to be able to mount this comeback. Like, again, are they going to really be able to do it? And they did it, dude. That just says something about the resilience of this team. That's the exact word that Brian Dable used at the podium. But is there a better adjective to describe this New York Giants team than just absolutely resilient? No, there is no better adjective to describe them besides maybe just prepared and creative because they are those things as well. And there's a reason why when you go into this game, like as we entered that, that time period you're talking about in this game, Realistically speaking, based on the game had gone, Nick, the Giants had no business winning this game. The Giants didn't really do that great of a job stopping the Ravens up to that point. And they needed the plays that they made to have any chance, really. Yeah, there is a little bit of luck to a bad snap that the quarterback has to try to, you know, reconvene. But like you said, and Julian Love said this in his postgame presser, I baited Lamar Jackson into throwing that pass. He's like, I wasn't even covering the guy I was assigned to. I was purposely trying to make a big play there and bait him into it. And it was a great risk worth taking because it worked. He left the guy open on, with the purpose of knowing that he could bait Lamar into thinking that he can make that throw. And by the way, Lamar at that point had collected the bad snap. He picks it up. He doesn't have the same kind of post snap vision he would have if it was a good snap. So at that point, if Lamar does roll, picks his eyes up and sees something he sees open, he doesn't have the vision to know, oh, that's just the safety baiting me into making that throw. And maybe McKinney throw. was right in his face right. too. Remember, because maybe McKinney came unblocked right yep. in at Lamar too. And he's got pressure in his face. So he doesn't really know what's open. He only knows what's open to what he sees immediately in front of him. And that's a great job. I love there because he knows he can do that once that ball is fumbled around and picked up on the run. And he's got McKinney coming in with pressuring. So that's just a really heady play by Julian Love, like you discussed. But that's a game-changing play, that interception. And a great return, by the way. The return set them up for the touchdown, which is another huge play. You can't If you get tackled right away there, if you try to cut that outside and beat the sideline, then who knows? Maybe the Giants are forced to settle with three there. It was a really easy setup after interception. Then obviously on the sack fumble, I love what Kayvon Thibodeau said after the game. Did you hear what he said about the coaching and, and how they prepared him for the situation there with the coaching? But also at the same time, he knew Lamar was going to have a chance to have to throw the ball or I'm sorry, have to hold the ball longer. So he had a chance to kind of make that kind of play or a time to kind of make that play. And so it just feels like they're prepared every step of the way these players based on the coaching.
And they're fully bought in too. Like mm-hmm. they are hook, line, and sinker, fully bought into everything that Brian Dable is selling right now. Why would you not be? They they consistently put you in the best position to have success. Like what we said in the past, success equals wins, which also typically stats follow with wins, which essentially ends up getting you paid. So this is going to create an atmosphere where free agents are going to want to come to New York and play for the Giants for if, if Joe Shane wants to pursue any types of free agents. This is like a total 180 from what we saw last year in terms of just an atmosphere and a culture and, and just players buying in and really wanting to invest their time and their passion and their love and, and, and all of that into what is being preached here. And the Giants do it five and one, five and freaking one right now who would have thought like paul rudd's popping the champagne he's saying not me we know that's a fact but guess what we're here right now and then we got two straight road games against jacksonville and seattle to follow up that those won't be easy i don't think but two winnable affairs yeah you're right i mean we'll we'll get to those games as they go they're both not no game is easy i don't think for the giants the giants haven't had any blowout wins yet no game has been easy and i don't think any game really will be easy with the exception of maybe the commanders games i have lack of zero respect for the commanders right now as a football team i hope that doesn't come back to bite me um and i could see some of those other games potentially going their way like the lions specifically um i just have a feeling about that the giants are going to move the ball well but we'll get into all those games as we move but like you said there's no game on the opposite side of this right now either there's no real game i feel like they're a lock to lose even the eagles i think they're going to have a chance to win those games and then the next Dallas game, they obviously already had a chance to beat Dallas in the first game. Some things could have gone their way. That was actually a much closer game than people think, and they had a really good chance to win that game. So like you said, at this point, every game is winnable. Every game will be played with with our with our mindset like the Giants can win this game. And who would have thought that had any chance of happening? None, none of us, obviously. I think it's interesting to look at some of the other factors in this win. And I feel like this has been a factor that's been the case all year. It's another nod to the coaching, but it's deserving. Giants had three penalties for 25 yards. Okay. The Ravens at 10 for 74. That's a big difference there. And the pass interference in the end. Yeah. And the pass interference in the end zone, that was a pass. That was a pass interference on Slayton. Like he, that you got to, you're going to call that every time. There's no home cooking there. There's nothing. So this is also a team that's been disciplined from a penalty standpoint. And that's making a big difference. I think in these first, it's again, it's the preparedness. And maybe part of it is that they're just bought into this coaching staff. I don't know what goes into that, but you know, we've had in the past, dumb penalties and that comes from you know under an iron fist coach like joe judge who was supposed to eliminate all that and at times he did in 2020 i want to give him credit where it's due we talked about that during that win streak but right now this is a team that doesn't really beat themselves with stupid errors they don't and you got to give the credit to metlife stadium crowd baby i mean they were loud would they have like four false starts in the first half one of them helped knock Justin Tucker had a realistic field goal range. Now, Justin Tucker's realistic field goal range is like 65 yards. But after the Julian Love PBU, which was a low-key huge play, after the Josh Oliver catch was confirmed as a catch, Patrick Ricard, their fullback, takes a, a false star penalty. And that essentially removes Justin Tucker from really makeable field goal range. And then he ends up doinking it off the upright. Like little plays like that, like that right. mistake by Ricard. And then on the subsequent play, O'Shane Zimenez just keeps Mark Andrews off of his chest and tackles J.K. Dobbins for a loss. Next play is an incomplete pass. Next thing you know, you have Justin Tucker, who's one of the best kickers in the league, lining up for a 56-yard field goal, and he misses it. And that play could sway so much of the game. And I just feel like the Giants are positioning themselves to earn more of those plays than their opponents at this point. Yeah, you're 100% right. They're putting themselves in a good position to win these games or to make the plays when you need to make the plays. Um, and we didn't even mention like, the excellent coaching and player awareness by Saquon Barkley to go down there and not take that touchdown. Oh, yeah. I mean, you go down there, you 
end the game. Like I, I was doing the math in my head, Nick, and I was like, oh, I think they'll probably have to take a field goal attempt with like two seconds left. They want to just run it around and throw it up in the air. And then I was like, oh, wait, I did the math wrong. They're literally going to be able to kneel this game out. It's an auto win instead of taking the touchdown. And look, they score a touchdown, they probably win the game anyway, but this is the guaranteed win. And Barkley said after the game, like that's something I talked about before the drive with Dable. It's something they co- we coach all week. We're well prepared for it. And it adds to the, the same exact thing I said earlier about Kayvon Thibodeau, where Thibodeau's like, he said, the greatest part about these coaches, is they really help us. And for me being a rookie, they've been teaching me the situations and knowing that they, when they're down, we knew what they had to go for a long distance to score, really had to go after them. So again, it's all just situational in-game coaching that's making such a big difference. In addition to the game planning difference, they're already getting from just having these coordinators through the week, deciding how to attack the defense or how to attack the offense. So there's a combination of so much good coaching going on here, the game planning and the situational coaching. And obviously that's a big factor in why they're five and one. But the great news about that is coaches can't get injured. Coaches are here to stay. So, I mean, you got to be happy about something like that. I bet you Nick Chubb wishes he fell like Saquon Barkley did in week two when the Jets came back and won. Because right. that's the reason why Cleveland yep. ended up losing that game was because 100%. Nick Chubb scored his third touchdown, got the hat trick. But ended up losing the football game. So that's a really respectful and selfless play by Saquon Barkley. Do you want to talk a little bit about run defense? Now, I'm interested to see the the all-22, Dan. But it looked like to me, on three of those really long Kenyon Drake runs, they were all sprung when the Giants decided to slant inside. And then basically what, what happens is you stunt at the line of scrimmage. You gap exchange. So if you're aligned as, say, a four or five technique, you're going to slant into the B gap, surrendering the C gap that you were previously in. But it seemed like the Ravens dialed up runs to that side all the time that took advantage of the Giants slanting inside. And all the Ravens had to do was block down. So basically the Giants were positioning themselves in a, in a place where the Ravens had an easier block and it sprung like three Kenyon Drake runs. I think all three of his big runs were all when the Giants were slanting in one direction to try to gain penetration. It was just kind of like a a chess match win for Greg Roman Mm. and not necessarily the Giants run defense just absolutely getting pushed around and bullied. Now, obviously, the Ravens have a very physical rushing attack, and I feel like the Ravens and I'm doing this off the non all 22, by the way, obviously. The Ravens have a very physical rushing attack, and they are going to win up front from time to time. But I didn't necessarily come away just being like, oh, wow, the Giants' run defense is horrendous. It just seemed like a lot of those runs were the same exact thing, and it was just somewhat bad luck and bad timing. I think you made the point correctly. I don't think there's much debate over this, and we'll see. We, we don't know for sure, but we'll see it when we look at the film. And that doesn't all that much surprise me because, yeah, we went into this game thinking like, oh, man, we might be overmatched from a personnel standpoint, right? We talked a lot about with Kevin Cusick how if the Ravens use big personnel like they have been so much this season more than any other team, Giants don't really have it to match. But really, like you said, it was a scheme thing. And that is not alarming to me because I think Greg Roman is one of the best run schemers in the NFL. And that's just he's just going to win some of these battles and have. And also, I think he's coached enough against Wink Barndell to maybe have some tips on when the Giants are going to take that aggressive stance and when they'll be most vulnerable. But we now have seen at least two of the six games an opposing offensive coordinator figure out schemed ways to create big chunks in the run game. Obviously, Kellen Moore being one of them. And obviously now we've seen it with Greg Roman. And that's just something that I think is part of being in a Wink Martindale defense, I would guess. If you have this type of coordinator, it can't be perfect all around. So, I would say yeah. yeah. I would say yes, and also it's just the Giants just need to watch Lamar Jackson. A lot of their runs yes, are going into the, the mesh big point. Thing too. Yep. 
it's just you have to pay attention. You don't have that backside defender. That backside defender is eliminated from the play because he has to respect Lamar. So now you're already working in a minus one situation some of the times when they're running to to certain sides and, and the Giants, you know, have to be really, really refined in terms of being in position. And the linebackers, I don't know if they were as disciplined as they've been in the past because they have to pay attention to Lamar Jackson. But the All-22 will bear all that out and we'll break it down extensively on the All-22 podcast and the YouTube. Please check it out. And I'll say this because I also, obviously, once we get to all of that, all 22 analysis, and again, as Nick said, for those new to the podcast, hearing it for the first time, we do a breakdown of the offensive film on all 22 film and the defensive film. Now we're putting them up on YouTube. You could literally watch the Giants game film with us as we talk through each play. Pretty good experience, I would hope, for the listener. Who knows? We've got some great feedback, so hopefully it doesn't sound too conceited. But I feel like... I also want to check out why the Ravens were just, it seemed like they were able to just get whatever the hell they wanted over the middle in the passing game to the tight ends, just whatever the hell they wanted at all times. And we'll find out what that is all about as well on the film. I'll wait for that. If you have anything there, you can say in a second or you can drop in now. But one thing I want to say is watching this game, Nick, I did really get the feel for the power and the value of a player like Lamar Jackson. I know he had two horrible turnovers at the end of this game. I am not saying anything. I, those should not be taken away, right? The interception was a bad interception. Julian Love baited him. He tried to make a play, which he's done before on a broken snap. The fumble, you know, it is what it is. I think that was just an amazing defensive play, to be completely honest. I don't really put that against him. But getting the feeling watching this guy like Lamar Jackson out there, you feel so helpless as a fan. You must feel like in such a tough spot as a defense. After the game, Wink Martindale even basically said something about this, I'm trying to find this quote now, where Wink was basically like, that quarterback, he said, that quarterback's unbelievable. I'm just glad it's over. This was just game six. Like, basically just kind of alluding to the stress that he was put through, trying to coach a game against this guy. He's like, what I said in the press conference is what I felt, but it was a lot of fun to win it, I'll tell you that. And because obviously Wink really wants to win this freaking game, no matter what he says. But it is stressful to try to defend him. I felt like as a fan, there were times the Giants had him dead to rights and he just broke a tackle. You just never feel comfortable or confident that you can stop this guy on three or four downs, depending on the game situation, when he's back there. And so I just felt like that was really interesting to watch at, at the quarterback position. I know obviously the turnovers played a key role in the end. Great for the Giants. Great job. But it was scary to, to go against him on every series. It's definitely scary. I think Dexter Lawrence had him dead to rights, backed up on the goal line, and Lamar Jackson somehow like broke his tackle and rushed for like 12 yards or something. And then a couple drives later, around the same area of the field, Dexter Lawrence ends up getting that sack against Kevin Zeitler, I believe it was. And I got to say something, man. Like Dexter Lawrence, he's, he's obviously, from a power standpoint, it's very impressive. He's having a career year. He's everything that we hoped that he could be when he was selected 17th overall back in 2019. But I think something that we haven't necessarily talked about is just how efficient he is with his hands. His hand usage, I feel like, has has developed quite a bit over the offseason. He's so quick at landing that rip move and getting to the half man and then just absolutely lifting the offensive lineman up essentially off the ground to just use his leverage and power to run through opposing offensive linemen. And it's just something I've noticed the last six games. And I just think there's really no way he's going to lose that skill. I just think he's yeah. now developed it. And I think Dexter Lawrence is going to be the the guy that we really wanted. I don't think this is a blip. I think he is now like a Chris Jones type of player on this team. I love that breakdown. And if you think about it like that, like this is a player who in year four going into this or going into year four in the off season for year four, learned a move that's now dominating, right? This is a move that right now, whoever he's gone against so far have these, 
interior offensive linemen have not been able to get a, get a grip and they've not, they have not been able to really recover against this move. He's using his power, but also, like you said, his quickness and he's developed as a pass rusher. Like you said, you, hand usage is arguably one of the more important things for a pass rusher, especially when you're on the interior of the defensive line. And so if you can get max, if you can maximize your hand usage or even just take such a big jump, like you mentioned, with his hand usage, I'm sure there's still room to grow. He would probably tell you that, and that's just for any defensive player. But if you can make that jump, you your jump is real. Like You continue to stack the sample size of you beating these interior offensive linemen over and over, and that jump is real. I saw it was interesting this week with the Giants positional coach. I'm now blanking on his name. It's been a long week. Um, Andre Patterson. Yeah, Andre Patterson. He was talking about how they really wanted him when he was in Minnesota. They wanted to draft him. They almost had a chance at him. And he was talking about how I, he always felt like this is actually the, the position he's playing now within this Wink Barndale defense is what he always envisioned for him as a way to maximize his skill set. And I think it's pretty clearly obvious at this point that Dexter Lawrence is the best version of himself within this Wink Martindale system. I would say so, yes. Even though the sack, I believe the sack, he was a three technique. Yeah, he wasn't. When, when, he, when, he, when he got, I think that has assisted him. I think when you line him over the center, the center's like, dude, I need help. I can't block exactly. this guy. Could you imagine going up against a guy like Dexter Lawrence? Because you have to prepare for the power. You have to prepare for that. He's 350 pounds and he's explosive. But now that he's added this, this ability to use his hands so effectively and quickly, you have to also prepare for that. So you're sinking your hips, you're embracing for power, and then he pulls you forward and just lands a rip move, and now he's all the way past you and you have to turn around. Like That is so difficult, Dan, to defend. That is incredibly difficult to defend. And at this point, man, if he can continues to do this, and now it should only get better with Big Cat back in the lineup, you're probably going to get Azuz Ojolari back eventually. It's a, it's a defensive line that we, we knew was going to be good, but I think the potential for it is much greater than we originally anticipated. Yes, 100%. The defensive line could now be the Giants are a five and one team trending in a really good direction right now. I think at this point, we'd all be disappointed if they don't make the playoffs. I think that's fair to say without getting too far ahead of ourselves right now, right? They're a five and one team. They have a winnable schedule and they're winning all these games. But there's going to be a defining aspect of this winning team they continue their winning ways right maybe push for the division who knows the eagles games still haven't been played at worst the wild card they get it there will be a defining reason one unit that i think is the best unit by far and it will be the giants defensive line i think that's obvious they have some moments on they have some really nice flashes on offense great scheming you know jones has been playing really well best of his career saquon barkley's their big one guy off there but it's not like right now the Giants have an Eagles offensive line that's just controlling and dominating at all times they have some good moments in the offensive line for sure there's been it's been much improved over the years this is not an Eagles level defensive line offensive line but this defensive line has the potential like you said to be one of the five best defensive lines in the NFL I really feel that way with t- the trajectory for Thibodeau and the trajectory for Lawrence and then you consider what Leonard Williams and Ojolari could potentially add to that if healthy because with Lawrence it's like Okay, you line him up when you line him up over that center and you have a matchup against the center. If he now has what you're describing, which is an edge or even if it's not an edge, let's just say massively improved technique at all times. When you think of it just from like a physics standpoint, Nick, there's very few centers in the NFL who really pose a good matchup for a Dexter Lawrence type. He's like six foot four, three thirty moving like he's two seventy. And a lot of these centers are pretty undersized. It just that's just a trend in the NFL. Center is not a big position. It's a really difficult matchup. So now you have that one matchup. In addition to have you got to worry about the edges with Ojolari and Thibodeau, and then Leonard Williams. What? Let's not forget about him. I mean, it wasn't his first game back, but he's going to also get back into what he was doing before the injury as well. So you really have the upside for this season. As soon as this season, one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. I really do feel that way. And that's not even bringing up Jihad Ward. 
and yeah. O'Shane Zimenez and even like Tamon Fox and players like that. Like that's a deep defensive line room at this point because they are getting pressure and they're setting edges and they're doing everything you ask for or ask for from them in terms of being a run defender. Like think back to the 2007, 2008. Yeah. What, what are you laughing at? Well, I'm laughing at because I was just thinking back to literally like not that many months ago where we had David Mayo on the edge. You're talking about the depth. We haven't even talked yeah, about the depth. We haven't even had to use Ellerson Smith yet. Who knows? He could be something in Wink Martindale's even. Obviously, we've seen everybody else maximized in this defense, but like just thinking about like you mentioned the depth is great now. It's so funny how these positions work out, man. We thought the corner depth was great at one point. It bottomed out. Thought the receiver depth was so good. They bottomed out. Now the D-line depth, the edge depth, something we thought we never, you know, we haven't had in a long time. Now we have that too. Well, think about it, man. Like Nick Williams is playing well, right? Like you're getting yeah. valuable snaps from Justin Ellis. Like go back to 2007, 2008, when the New York Giants won the Super Bowl. You had like role players like Dave Tollefson. You had starters who who weren't like the elite guys on the defense, like Matthias Kiwanuka to back up like Justin Tuck, OCU Manure, Michael Strahan. Like it was depth and those guys can get rotated in and they could stay fresh. And I feel like the, the talent might not be that good. Obviously, you don't have like a Michael Strahan here. But you still have a, a deep rotation of competent football players who can win one-on-one matchups. Right. And you have two ascending possible stars in Dexter Lawrence and Kayvon Thibodeau with Leonard Williams, who is already, I would say, an established star. I think it's safe to say. And then Aziz Ojolari, when he's healthy, he has a, a ton of potential. That's not even factoring in the role player. So I think the Giants' defensive line right now, it, it's something to be to be really happy about. And I really think Wink Martindale is going to do everything to put these guys in a position to create those one-on-one matchups by using second level defenders and nickelbacks and cornerbacks on blitzes sometimes to really keep those offensive lines honest. It's something that we saw in this game. It's something that we've yeah. seen in the previous five games, man. So it, it's exciting. It, it's really exciting. This isn't a fluke. Okay. It's not a fluke. Are the giants, the chiefs? No. Are the giants, the bills? No. Are the giants winning meaningful football games against competent NFL teams? Yes. And that is something to be ecstatic about. Without a doubt, they're winning these games fair and square. Once again, it's another fair and square win. Like the Giants didn't get any kind of crazy call that led to this win. There's no roughing the passer to extend a drive. The turnovers played a key role for the Giants in this one. The Ravens made quote unquote mistakes, but I don't know if those were even mistakes. I think the Julian Love interception was Julian Love making an incredible individual play and a heady play. And again, the Kayvon Thibodeau play was, in my opinion, a player making an incredible individual play. He went, he got around there pretty damn fast. Uh, and I know he said it was like, he described it as not the fastest sack. He described it as like one of those, uh, you fight through type of sacks. But I mean, when we'll watch the tape again, he was in there pretty damn fast. And not only was he in there pretty damn fast, he closed out the sack by going for the football. It's an incredible individual play. Like you watch those arms come around. It's a long arm rip at that football. Hits it, makes perfect contact with it. Instead of going for the player, that changes the game. Sack there, Lamar can get out of that sack. I mean, Lamar gets out of long goal, uh, you know, long to go situations all the time with either his legs or his arm. And so that's a game closing play. And I want to talk a little bit about Kayvon Thibodeau right now because, you know, the narrative on him had been like, I was back from the injury against Dallas. Not a not playing amazing football. He's gone a few weeks. Oh, no sack. He must stink, right? People are saying, not this is not this is not Giants fans. Giants fans are informed, especially hopefully if you listen to this show. But there's been a lot of talk in the media, like, you know, he's I saw like rankings the other day, like here are the edge pressure rates from one of the PFF guys. And it was like four guys drafted, no Thibodeau. It was like Karloftis and like the guy drafted after Karloftis. And I'm like, all right, we can we can throw this. We can we can look, we can add Thibodeau to the mix here. But closing that play out, I mean, I go back to this a lot with Gabe on Thibodeau. Breakout breakout age is a big factor in, for me with prospects. 
And I remember three years ago, Nick, or two years ago, whenever it was at this point, we were discussing Kayvon Thibodeau, watching him during that first season at Oregon where he kind of came into prominence. We're like, oh, my God, can you imagine this guy in the Giants? Like, it was like a pipe dream. We're like, this guy's like going to be a lock, number one overall pick. That's the trajectory. Because when, because what he did at 18 years old, and this is my whole thing with breakout age, he's 18 years old going up against 22-year-old accountants, as you like to call them. But, like, not accountants, but these offensive linemen who have, like, year eight of eligibility. They have COVID eligibility. They have all sorts of – no, that was before COVID. They have, like, all sorts of things that – some of these offensive linemen are so old in college. And he's 18 years old, and he has eight and a half sacks and 11, tack, 11 and a half tackles for loss. As a true freshman at Oregon, eight and a half and 11 and a half. Those are insane type numbers, and those show the flash and the upside. If you're at 18 years old able to do that against 20-plus-year-old linemen that you're going up against on a weekly basis, what can you potentially be, right? He's not an old – he's a young prospect right now with tons of room to grow. So I feel like this was a moment that's going to kind of mark his ascension into what he's going to be, and he's going to end up being the guy that's getting the accolades that people are not just Giants fans are talking about as like this dominant edge. Oh, and he's going to thrive in that moment, too, because oh, yeah. his personality is so infectious. Think about it from an offensive line perspective, from a protection perspective. Kayvon Thibodeau continues this trajectory. You can't slide protection towards Kayvon Thibodeau when you have Dexter Lawrence and you have Leonard Williams and if Aziz Ojolari can come back. And that's one another reason why having a full complement of competent pass rushers can really just wreak havoc against opponents, especially in games like what the Giants have been in, these close games where you, you might have to pass in the in the fourth quarter. And also, if the Giants can find ways to jump out early and gain early leads and then for, force a lot of opposing throws in the second half, and then you have this pass rush that can just pin their ears back and get after the opposing quarterback, that's realistic. I mean, the Giants can have that maybe by the end of the season if, if we start to see if we continue to see, I should say, the trajectory of a progression that we're seeing from Kayvon Thibodeau, who, like you said, missed the first two games of the season. Right. And then may not even be 100 percent healthy yet. Like we don't know what, what that I mean, I'm sure he's fine. He, he looks like he's fine out there, but there's still be an, might be another gear that he can get to from a health standpoint as he just works through the injury. And obviously, from a development standpoint, we're obviously seeing that. Dexter Lawrence has developed with great coaching. What is somebody like Kayvon Thibodeau going to develop as? As he's already mentioned, the coaching has had an impact on what we're seeing already from him as a player for the Giants. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is this new water called Liquid Death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst 
and the recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried Liquid Death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic, nor am I thirsty anymore, because my former parched state was quenched by the tart acidic taste of one of their flavors, Severed Lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another Liquid Death flavor, Mango Chainsaw, which combines real agave nectar with Leatherface to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit, go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, Bury It Alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. Again, go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. And then use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. I think it's a huge deal. I really do. And I think additions like Jalen Smith can go a long way. Now, he didn't have like a lot of big impact plays mm. in this game. There was one play, though, I, I saw where he was like on the far hash and he he tracked down. I can't remember exactly who it was all the way to the sideline. Just yeah, showing so much. You, yeah, right. So, so much, much range. So much range, man. So much range. And that's not something that we see consistently from Tay Crowder. And I think Crowder is a good athlete, but I think Crowder is a better athlete going forward when he's square right. and he doesn't have to transition laterally, pivot, shift his weight, and then explode. He's better when it's just like quick twitch. I'm I'm lined up square to the line of scrimmage, hike, and then he just shoots out of a cannon. That's where Tay Crowder has that really type of explosiveness that kind of jumps off the page at you. Whereas mm-hmm. Jalen Smith, I feel like, is so much better operating in space and using his range to get sideline to sideline. Yeah, I think that's an excellent take. And I think that's part of the reason why Jalen Smith has been such an excellent addition for the Giants since they signed him. And there's another player that really has made an impact. I want to get some, I want to get some, I want to talk some players with you, but I want to still touch on some big picture stuff that we probably haven't gotten to. You mentioned earlier that there was comment that you felt like MetLife Stadium was rocking, right? And that's something we heard after the game from Saquon Barkley, who basically said this was the loudest it's been for him there. We heard it from Julian Love when he was like, after that, interception it felt like the stadium was legitimately shaking and he's like i blacked out i he told us he's like I, I believe that he's like i blacked out after that kind of um so i can't really tell you the extent of it but i feel like over the years there was actually a study rj white and sports line rj white my boss over at cbs sports and he runs sports line too he did a great study on home field advantage going into the season and the giants are one of like the three or four worst teams for home field advantage now this is taking into account like spreads this is a betting thing but they were the, the Washington football team was dead last and they've been for a while. But the, the Giants were like top three in that. 
And I think they're finally getting back. And this is also a little bit of anecdotal evidence. Speaking of my brother who was at the game today, shout out Maddie Schneier with my mom, really special moment for her. She was really happy about it, but he said it was the, the best he's felt and the best it's been there at that stadium since that 2011 division game against the Atlanta Falcons, a game I was at. And that was by far and away the most rocking I'd been I'd, game that I've seen at that stadium. Now, if you go back to the old giant stadium, the 2000 Vikings game, I was at the championship game. That was probably a louder and more rocking game. Um, there were some moments throughout that first stadium, but as far as this goes now, I feel like there's a case to be made. The giants have reestablished their home field edge. Just talking about all your experiences going to giant games. I think you're right. I, I think the last time I've been to a giant game was like 2010 and the Giants played, ironically enough, the Jacksonville Jags, and they, oh, yeah. I, I, and it was David Garrard, and I think they won the game, if I'm not mistaken. But I was home on leave. But I haven't been to a Giant game in so long. I really need to get there, man. But how about from what you heard on TV? Just your thoughts on you know? Oh what, yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I, I mean, it seemed like that, and I'm not even speaking just from uh, what's happening in terms of the sound. I mean, I'm sure that's you know something that was definitely felt and it was palpable, but just. The Ravens, they, they just had so many false start penalties. They had so many just stupid, silly mistakes that some of them can be attributed to the fact that their communication was a little off. And that's usually what false start, how false start penalties materializes. It's really loud. You're trying to get on the same page and then just a little shimmer because you thought the ball was hiked and that's all it takes. And there were so many early on in the game. It was like pregame jitters from the Baltimore Ravens and the Giants, like we said, one of them, that one on Patrick Ricard, probably knocked. Justin Tucker at a field goal range because right. they tried the field goal and then it just was no dice. It ends up hitting the upright. We get the doink. And if they have that extra five yards, I mean, Justin he Tucker might that. put that yeah. to the upright. 100%. He makes that kick without a doubt if it's five yards. The only reason he misses that kick is because of those five yards because that's just a little bit more online. And, and it had the distance. The distance was no issue, obviously. It's Justin Tucker. And it's funny because they just went over this week how Justin Tucker's kicks, they like a sports science, and they're like the most on straight down the line kicks. And so this week we finally get a Justin Tucker kick that doesn't go straight down the line and veers off just in perfect fashion for the doing. So that's just great luck. Like you said, there's been some luck for the Giants. Great. Who cares? That's that's what winning, that's what goes. There's variance in all sports. We'll take it right now. We'll take the good variance any day. Like it's it is what it is from that hundred percent, Dan. But even then, like it's not like the Giants were flawless. Like they had a drive where they went three and out with two drops by Darius Slayton mm -hmm. and Wandale Robinson. So they were having their bumps and bruises, but they were just such a freaking resilient team that they still find a way to put themselves in the position to win against quality opponents. And some cool stats I want to throw out there. This one, uh, I think Justin Pennick tweeted this. Shout out Justin Pennick. The Giants' leading receiver today was Daniel Bellinger, 38 yards. We'll talk about him in a little bit. We'll get into some players. They didn't produce a single play in this whole game, Nick, of 20-plus yards. That is wild. Not one explosive play in the game. They got outgained 406 yards to 238, and then they still beat the freaking Ravens. Just insane. Insane win to have when you think of it from that standpoint. Giants have more rushing. Saquon Barkley has more rushing yards this season through six games than all of last year. Obviously, injuries probably played a or could clearly played a factor in that. Um, it's just amazing, really, to watch to watch this Giants team do what they did here um, and come up with a win. I want to talk a little bit about some individual players, like I said, specifically Wandale and Bellinger on the offensive side of the ball and Evan Neal. Um, but before we do that, I did want to ask you one more thing. This is just an observation I've had, Nick, and we can go to the tape. We can think back to what we evaluated on the tape from the recent weeks and then just what you saw today. There's something different about the third and long situations for the Giants this season when they're on offense. Just from my memory over these last two seasons with Garrett, 
we're throwing past the sticks and we're creating opportunities that were just not there in the past game. Like today, yeah, we had some drops. There was one ball that kind of looked like it hit the helmet over through the hands and hit the helmet. But the opportunities that we're now getting on these third and longs, they're not like, oh, look around, scan around, nothing's open, check down, no chance, short of the sticks. These are actual throws past the sticks. And there's actually open receivers now, or at least design, the design is getting receivers open. And they're, and they're having opportunities to convert these third and longs that I just haven't seen in recent years. So I'm curious to kind of like get your take on that. And maybe as we work through the film, we can dive into maybe why that's happening. We've, we've discussed some of the plays, you know, some of the decisions that have, that have led to that, but in the previous weeks, but it's just something I've noticed. They, they now have a chance on these third and longs. It's undeniable how much yeah. better they are in third and long situations. I think some of it has to be attributed to Daniel Jones, who's doing yep. a really good job. Like Daniel Jones, the third and 14 and then a third and 12 on their first touchdown drive. When you need a touchdown in that situation, you find yourself in a third and 14. You usually don't come out of that. Yeah. He hits Darius Slayton, just great timing, good route by Darius Slayton to uncover at the right around the sticks. And then he just kind of bends inside and sits and Daniel Jones just delivers it right between the numbers for Darius Slayton. And then on the third and 12, that was excellent scheme, but also a good play by Daniel Jones. And on both of those plays, Daniel Jones stepping up into the pocket right. and kind of trusting his offensive line. Like we haven't necessarily seen even this season at some points, like he's really trusting his offensive line. I felt like the offensive line played pretty damn well, but on that third and 12, it was a bunch set. Wondell Robinson just ran a, a pivot, like a whip route, essentially came back inside. But instead of coming back inside and staying flat, he angled up towards the third down sticks and Daniel Jones put it right where it needed to be. And Wondell Robinson kind of dove forward for a first down. Those are two third and long situations that ended up leaving for a touchdown. Like Daniel Jones, a lot of people come at him, knock him. And I'm not saying he's Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. He's not. Like we've been very objective about who Daniel Jones is, or at least I feel like we have on this podcast. But I'll say this Giants are winning some of these games, and Daniel Jones isn't just a passenger in these wins. Like Daniel Jones is a reason why they're winning some of these football games when he does step up big in those types of situations and make throws on third and long situations. This isn't the first week that he's done it. He's done it several weeks this season, and I think he deserves some praise for that. He definitely deserves some praise for that because like you just think about the Darius Slayton throw, for example, that's a good anticipatory throw. And he can, he drives the football in with good ball on those types of, on that range of the field. He's doing, he's done an excellent job this season, at least of, of driving those throws in with good ball placement, a nice compact throw. And like you said, on the, on the third and long to, to, to Wanda is another great throw by him. And more importantly than all that, for me, I think I've seen serious strides now in what you said, the key factor is what, is the takeaway you had there, Nick, which is he's starting to trust his offensive line better. And he's starting to actually manipulate the pocket. There was a great example on a play. I just like quote tweeted recently, Bobby, Bobby Skinner used it to kind of show Evan Neal operating a vertical pass set, which was great. Evan Neal did a great job of it. But what I really liked about it also was watching Daniel Jones and his feet, because in the past, I've seen an exact example of this. He felt like Evan Neal or Thomas. And this has happened like multiple times throughout the first week, not last week, but in the earlier weeks. We felt like Thomas or Neal got beat, even though really Thomas and Neal had time to settle and they did resettle and they didn't end up getting beat. And he bailed the pocket or he rolled right on those plays. This time he instead did exactly what I was hoping, you know, what we want to see from all these quarterbacks. He reset the pocket and manipulated with just two short steps to his left and then found Barkley underneath was short of the sticks. Um, obviously there, but it gave the Giants an opportunity, an opportunity after that to make a play, but it was short of six, but that's not important. It's not about what was open on that specific play. It's about Daniel Jones doing a good job to trust the pocket, to trust his tackles, to resettle there, or in that case it was just Neil, and then to kind of find a new 
platform to throw from. And it was a nice platform to throw from, right? Like, that's the thing. That, pre- that might have looked like an early pressure, but it wasn't. And he did a good job of recognizing, I don't need to bail from this pocket. I can reset and re- manipulate the pocket and find a new throwing lane. And so I think he's done a much better, in week five at least on film, that was obvious. We talked about it on our film breakdown. We'll see now. We can't really t- touch on this now without the All-22. But I do think even from th- those types of clips, you can just watch his feet and watch how much more, like you said, confident he is in this offensive line. A lot more confident in the protection as a whole, because sometimes it's not even just the offensive right. line. I feel like Afka, one thing that he does pretty well is he'll keep that H back in there, that wing back, just a chip and release. And that is a nice little check down for Daniel Jones if nothing comes open downfield, or he'll keep Saquon Barkley in. And I also feel like it's something that a lot of NFL offenses do, but as a as a team that just had Jason Garrett as our offensive coordinator, we didn't really see it as consistent as we would have liked when he was here. I love how this coaching staff uses front side play concepts, essentially the side like a post wheel, say, which they used twice the Giants on the second touchdown drive. They use these front side main concepts where Daniel Jones will look to see if there's a vertical edge to that side to open up and clear out backside routes, backside intermediate routes, backside drag routes. And we saw it with the Wandell Robinson intermediate pass that I think went to like for like 17 yards or something like that on a second and 11. And then two plays later on a second and five, Daniel Jones finds David Sills, which that one was from a three by one set. The one previous was a two by two set. David Sills just basically runs a drag route. And what Kafka does, he works these routes in tandem. You have the post wheel. If that's not there, that's fine. What he did with the number three receiver on that second and five was he took Daniel Bellinger and Daniel Bellinger's sole job on this play was to run directly at the middle linebacker just to occupy the middle linebacker. And then what happens? Mike Kafka and Brian Dable will just bring that backside guy number one receiver from the backside and just run a drag underneath that middle linebacker who is occupied by the number three with the number one and the number two clearing out those other routes. So there's number one and the number two clear out all those other routes. If it's there, Daniel Jones can throw that vert. But if it's not there, now you have a simple check down underneath all of that stuff that was just cleared out. And it ended up going for like eight yards. And it's something that we've seen every freaking week, Dan. And it's it's simple football. It's not complex. They're not reinventing the wheel here, the New York Giants. But we didn't necessarily see that that much last year. We didn't see that that much. We didn't see a lot of free yards in the last offense. And it is some... Okay, yeah, you're right. It's not reinventing the wheel. They're not creating anything that we've never seen that now teams are going to like copycat, which we've seen with some other, whatever, coaches in the NFL. But... Taking the free yard and knowing when to take them is a really important factor in coaching in the NFL, and that's not something we had in the last offense. I will say that I feel like some of the stuff that Kafka is bringing to the table, it's very Andy Reid-esque. It's very Chiefs-esque. Post-wheel is, and post-wheel isn't reinventing the wheel, but some of the RPO stuff that they're using, especially- Feels very Reedy, yeah. It's very Reedy, but that stuff can get adopted. Now, people are adopting it from Reed, but the one play was like a full house with three running backs on the field with Gary Brightwell, Saquon Barkley, and Matt Breida. And they ran a, a fade with Matt Breida off of an RPO with Gary Brightwell hitting the A-gap. Jones tucks it, and then he runs along the line of scrimmage and just drops like a little like fade right yeah. to Matt Breida, who gets absolutely nailed. But little plays like that, that's a way to get the defense thinking. The defense is thinking, well, what's going on here? Is it going to this guy? Oh, was Daniel Jones keeping it? And Are these guys lead blockers? Do I have to step up to Daniel? Oh, no, it's a pass. Like it gets the defense on their toes every week. We have said this, man. I don't want to be redundant here, but I do believe the creativity of this offense deserves the type of praise that we're giving them right now. And it's just something like we said on the mailbag podcast. I'm a little scared, man. After the season, the Giants keep this up. Mike Kafka, you know, that name is going to get thrown out there a lot. As it damn well should. And we're not being redundant. I don't think we're being homer based because I think me and you watch enough football, enough of these island games. And then whenever the Giants aren't on 
to know that we're not seeing this from all these offenses. You're not seeing this from Cliff Kingsbury's Cardinals. You're not really <laughs> oh seeing like that's the the craziest example of it. Obviously, that's the extreme, but you're not seeing it from a lot of these offenses. And so it deserves praise for that reason. And like you said, that the first of all is an amazing catch by Brita. It's a great design, too. And there was the other design where he has Jones. There's so many of these plays where it's like Jones is the option to either run or throw. But by that point, there's been so much eye candy on other players, like with Saquon Barkley coming in motion, that like so many of these other there's there's been already so many other fakes within the play that once you get Jones on the edge, like you said, exactly. there's only one guy left to stop the run or stop the pass. And then what are you gonna do? It's a lose-lose for the defense. That's I mean, it can all be boiled down to something we said at like the beginning of the Jason Garrett era. Like he doesn't do enough, he doesn't have enough plays where he's putting defenders in conflict. Cause I really feel like that's what NFL offensive coaching is all about. Finding a way to put a defender in conflict where he just has to make a decision and it's wrong either way, as long as you execute it right, which is another thing. But this is a coach who's doing that a lot more often. Like you said, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's just figuring out ways to get that edge, to get that whenever it is to get, to find a way to put that defender in conflict. It's also like they're attacking laterally. They're attacking up the middle. They're attacking yep, in yep. every different manner. They're not predictable at all, the New York Giants right yeah. now. Like even on the Wandell touchdown, that is a simple touchdown. You align in a bunch to the field, everything reduced off the ass of the offensive tackle, and you just take your number three receiver and you run them to the flat. You use your number one and your number two to essentially just create picks to reduce mm -hmm. the traffic and just get your playmakers in space. That is like football one-on-one. We didn't see that that often last year. We yeah. just didn't. But 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 it's being used now, and it's giving Daniel Jones these easy opportunities to accumulate the stats that he did not have in the previous two seasons. That's exactly right. Yeah, and you're seeing more efficiency than ever from Daniel Jones from a statistical standpoint, at least passing wise. Obviously, there's not much of an average depth of the target yet, and there's hasn't been much of a downfield game unlocked yet. So again, as long as you just keep Marcus Johnson on the field and and Darius Layton, I feel like you have more. You're going to have more opportunities for that coming up. Like. Just keep speed on my whole thing is just keep speed on the field. No offense to David Sills. He had a nice catch and run kind of in this game um, for him. And it's whatever. And he's a good blocker. And there and there was a time like there was a play where I thought on the red zone play with Barkley, if it's Richie James that had a better block there, I think it was going to be a touchdown to be completely honest. I don't know if you remember the play I was talking about. I think I'm it not was 100 percent sure. Yeah, we'll have to go back on the film. I think it was the one before the. I think it was one on the drive where they settled for three, but I'm actually not positive about that, but I'm pretty sure it was on the drive where they got sacked in the red zone and then settled for three. But um, yeah, you lose that a little bit, but keeping speed on the field overall is only going to help Daniel Jones get even more efficient as a passer. And that's the number one goal to get more efficient as a passer, because there were times where I felt like having Marcus Johnson out there creating separation created. And you even said it was Slayton, like the play he made. There were plays that these receivers made that we haven't seen necessarily uh, over the first four weeks when they had like David Sills running running 97% of the routes or whatever it was. I think that's fair. And I also, if you look at, if Marcus Johnson can maintain a roster spot here and he can continue to leverage his speed along with Darius Slayton's and now you got Wando Robinson out there, yeah. you have Saquon Barkley, who is just not only one of the fastest running backs, but one of the most dynamic and scary running backs to go up against. Then you have Daniel Jones and his speed. And that's one of the reasons why the Giants have won, not this game, but the previous two games before this was because of Daniel Jones' speed. You're looking at an offense that actually has speed, which if you were to say that three weeks ago, we would have been like, no, there's not. David Sills is running. Like Richie James is a nice player, but like he's not necessarily yes. all that fast. But now you you actually have speed when you incorporate Marcus Johnson. You get Wondell Robinson back. And I couldn't even imagine if Kadarius Tony gets back healthy. I'm not counting on that right now. I mean, I'm hoping that it can happen, but we just haven't seen it. So hopefully that can materialize. Could you imagine this offense with a skill set like that. Yeah, I, I personally right now, Nick, I hate the rhetoric around Tony on Twitter, 
Like people are making so many assumptions on his character without knowing him. Like, true. Who knows if he's just injured? Like, just getting dealing with, and that's like a whole other issue. Like, do you want an injured player? But he could just be dealing with some serious injuries right now, like bad hamstring injuries. He's a tightly, he could just be a tightly wound athlete, and that's not on him. Like, so whatever with that. But I do agree with that skill set. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, a few other things. I want to first give you a give you a shout out, Nick. Something Saquon said that kind of just like felt like right out of the Nick Filato playbook of things I've heard and it's things we discussed on this he said you got to give credit for to Mike Kafka and all those guys coming into the second half making the adjustments and also sticking to the run we talked about it earlier but this was the thing that stood out to me um oh no sorry I'm reading the wrong one here sorry because he also said it's easy when you're down by 10 points to give up the run and become a passive team that's fine that's a good quote but he said in the second half and this is on Mike Kafka Barkley on Mike Kafka we were able to get into a rhythm and feel not just myself but I was able to, we were able to get on time with all the offensive linemen tight ends. What he said was, and this was the part that I thought like right out of the Nick Filato playbook, we're stacking runs together. And then off of that, we're running naked or a waggle. That stuff helps. It builds it for us. That's the crux. That's what Kafka has brought more than anything else. Look at the Daniel Bellinger touchdown. Like they ran like three times before that. And that's one of the things I think Saquon was referring to in his post game press conference was, yeah, we didn't abandon the run. Well, they ran the football and they ran the football and they ran the football. And then they did what every time, whenever they do this to the boundary, it's going to be a play action pass. Whenever they fake it to the boundary, it's typically a play. They don't usually run to the boundary uh, on, on the stretch zone. They'll run to the boundary a lot on, on the power gap and things like that that they have before this year. But most of the times they want to get Daniel Jones rolling to the field side with players from the boundary initially working across the field into space because you have more time to throw and more space to operate within. And that's kind of what happened with Daniel Bellinger. And on that Daniel Bellinger play too, I think uh, the announcer brought up how David Sills and Daniel Bellinger might have ran the wrong route because they were both running the same exact route. But if you watch that play, David Sills, I don't know if this was designed or not but david sills angles his route initially and uh they're, they're running together him and daniel bellinger and then he just kind of like darts up the field and he they're both in the end zone mind you at this point and both the defenders paid attention to david sills and left daniel bellinger just sitting there and there was a zone defender maybe like five yards daniel bellinger did a great job just stopping he didn't continue his route to flow into the zone he stopped and daniel jones just threw him the football right there like, that was a great play by daniel jones daniel bellinger but again the defense pursued the run because they, they were just run, run, run. Now we're going to hit you with the play action pass and the play action pass worked. Yeah. And that's, that was an excellent analysis of it, Nick. And it goes right along the lines of what Daniel Jones said after the game, he said on rookie Daniel Bellinger, he said he's, he's found ways to make instinctual football plays. He's got a knack for getting open, finding space and making key plays for us. That's exactly what you just said. He found the space in the zone. He got open and he figured out where to settle down for his quarterback. And that's exactly what he did to give Daniel Jones an opportunity there to throw that unbelievably important touchdown. So let's talk a little bit about some players now, starting with Daniel Bellinger, the guy with knack for getting open, finding open space, making plays in the passing game. They trust him in the red zone. They design things for him in the red zone. He makes key blocks. You posted something on Twitter after the game, Nick, for those who haven't seen it, of Daniel Bellinger. Ooh, look at this video. Component. Oh, yes. The yes. Big Banter podcast getting a little more video savvy here over here. Thanks, yes. Nick. But after the game, you posted even 
a key block Daniel Bellinger threw on the big time Gary Brettwell special teams play. Hallelujah, Nick, by the way. Hallelujah, the Giants finally got a special teams play. I know they've recovered some lucky fumbles on special teams, which is just basically better on the other team's part. But we finally did something right in the special teams game to give us an edge with that Gary Brettwell turn. But again, Daniel Bellinger, key block on that return. Daniel Bellinger continues to block well in the offense, too. So now we've got a guy really operating in three levels of the game. He's helping you in the passing game. He's helping you as a blocker in the run game. And he's helping you as a blocker on special teams. Yeah, let's exit out of the ESPN right there because okay. they always try to do their little ads. So for those watching on YouTube, you could see this is the Daniel Bellinger touchdown that we were just talking to. There were three consecutive runs. You see play action to the boundary. Daniel Jones sets up touchdown right there. But watch David Sills and Daniel Bellinger. They're running essentially the same route. You can see 56 trying to wall off Daniel Bellinger initially. Then he just transitions right to David Sills and both Chuck Clark and Josh Bynes, the linebacker or the safety and the linebacker respectively, pay attention to David Sills and Daniel Bellinger comes right open. And you see that zone defender right there. Daniel Bellinger, instead of flowing into the zone, he just stops. And him and Daniel Jones are on the same exact pace as Daniel yep. Jones, Page, as Daniel Jones throws this football with the defender right in his face for that touchdown. That is a, a very good play right there by Daniel Jones and Daniel Bellinger. Just wanted to show that to the audience watching on YouTube. And I can also bring up the Daniel Bellinger block that you were referring to before, Dan, because that was just a really tough block. That was on Tylen Wallace, who is a wide receiver, but still a special teams defensive player, if you want to look right. at him in that manner. And also, man, Gary Brightwell, bro. Gary Brightwell had some jukes there. Now, one of the jukes mm -hmm. that, he, that, he, that he landed was on Justin Tucker, but it was pretty impressive, man. It was pretty good body control. I'm going to bring that up though. Yeah. As I want to see that play too. So you can show the viewers, not only the key block that Bellinger made to spring this, I don't care who it's against. Those guys are on special teams doing their jobs on the other side of the ball. And there's a reason Tylen Wallace is out there. He's a tough receiver who probably good in that role. I'm sure if the Ravens are using him, but like you said with Brightwell, one thing that's interesting to me about Gary Brightwell, he's somebody you come in, right? We have Joe Shane come in, Brian Dable, new regime. You expect like maybe Brightwell gets cut. Right. Maybe Brightwell doesn't even make the team. He's a previous regime holdover. Instead, the coach has found a way to maximize him as well. And he's taking well to the coaching. And like you said, he's been an impact player as well. Look at these jukes. Wow. I love this angle that you got up here, Nick. Juke and juke and juke. And yeah. Um, and I face mask penalty there. That was missed. Face too. mask That was missed. Yeah. We already got one earlier in the game. So that's all right. We'll take it. But you yeah, see, there's Daniel the Bellinger there. right to your right. Just drive this dude into the ground to to allow Gary Brightwell to pick up extra yards. Watch, here's extra the 25 right. yards. If he doesn't make that Whoop. block, that's 25 yards fewer for the Giants there because that's a, they're, they're tackled to 25 there. 22. Exactly. Like, like little plays like that, man, by by contributors that you didn't necessarily expect to be be critical in their first season, they're coming through. Like, and if you look at this game, man, you had a touchdown to Wando Robinson in essentially his first game action, a touchdown to Daniel Bellinger. Those are two rookies right there. And Gary Brightwell, second year player, huge play on special teams. That, that's a gigantic play that helped set up a giant score. Like th that, if that play doesn't happen, we're not a hundred percent sure if the giants end up winning this football game, dude. So yeah. you got a lot of con contributions from these young players, obviously the strip sack fumble by cave on Thibodeau as well. That can't go without, without being said either. So the youth, the youth movement, man, I, I love it, dude. There, there's just so much excitement around this team and it's, and it's all warranted too. I don't believe it's, it's unwarranted. You're five and one and everyone expected you to be one and five at this point. Yeah, you, you nailed it, Nick. This was a breakout game for the Giants rookie class, and that's something that will be a big factor. The Giants want to continue to be this team that wins five of every six football games, and that's crazy, right? Like, we're not expecting them to be that good. But let's say they're a team that wins four of every five or four of every six, whatever it may be. They're going to need 
contributions from the rookie class. During the, the magical 2007 Giants season, they end up getting massive contributions later in the season. It came even later. Ahmad Bradshaw was a late bloomer that year. Kevin Boss as well. Fifth round pick, seventh round pick there respectively. Bradshaw was the seventh, Boss the fifth. Now they're getting those contributions even earlier. This was a big week for the rookies. I want to talk about both Neil and Robinson with you. So I want to get into both of those guys because those were two of the biggest contributors. You mentioned Bellinger. You mentioned, um, obviously, Dane Belton had a big impact in this game. And then, of course, Kayvon Thibodeau. That's five guys who had a massive impact already on this game for the Giants from the rookies. And before we get to both Robinson and Neil, I want to ask you about Bellinger right now. I'll say this, Nick. I did not expect him to be this damn good, this damn fast. A fourth-round pick. I can't remember another Giants fourth-round pick having this kind of impact this fast since Kevin Boss in the fifth round, really. But as far as fourth rounds go, like, look, Julian Love has developed into an amazing player we want. We both want to resign him. He wasn't like this his rookie year. He wasn't contributing right away like Bellinger has. Same goes for, like, any of the other guys they've nabbed there, Darnay Holmes, players who contribute now but weren't that. Can you remember when the last time the Giants have had a fourth round pick? I should have brought this up before the podcast, but I really feel like the Bellinger ceiling is much higher than I maybe initially expected. It absolutely is. I mean, we're six games in right now, Dan, and look at what this kid is doing. This kid has, what, three touchdowns on the season? They are designing plays in the red zone specifically for him. Now, is some of that because the New York Giants don't necessarily have the receiving weapons that they ideally would want? Yeah, I think so. Is some of it because Jordan Akins didn't make the team, probably because of the ascension of Daniel Bellinger, and Ricky Seals-Jones ended up getting injured and getting converted to IR? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but I think so much credit deserves to be go to this kid, man. Like Frank Bellinger, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not, but if you're listening, you need to you need to pat yourself on the back for raising one heck of a worker because this kid is working his ass off to put himself in the position to earn these targets, man. Because Tanner Hudson could be earning these targets. You know, this could be this could be another tight end doing this right now, but it's not. It's Daniel Bellinger. And it's not even just the fact that he is having this much of an impact as a receiver, damn. This kid's blocking his ass off, man. This kid is yeah. is springing huge runs and not even just from like the split action type of looks where he's the H back coming with momentum to kick out the Edmund. No, he's doing it in line. Like, and this is a rookie. You, you rarely see this from a rookie tight end, from a receiving standpoint and from a blocking standpoint. And we said when the Giants drafted him, they could have found lightning in the bottle just because he is coming from an offense that runs the football so much that he has that understanding. Yet his... His receiving skills haven't been put on display yet. So if those things are actually in him and it can be manifested by this Giants coaching staff, then you could have really found a steal here. And I think the Giants have found a steal here. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned that because the consistency is the really thing, the factor that stands out the most for me. He's been thrust into the starting role basically from the start. Now he played in this game, I believe I tweeted it, but now I don't have the stats from me because I'm looking at the draft history page that I just got up here for a fun conversation potentially. But um I believe he played the most snaps that he played. I don't think he did. There's a chance he didn't miss a single snap today, Nick. I read that. I don't know if that's confirmed, but I'm pretty sure he didn't miss a snap. And he had an 82% route participation number, which is the highest mark for the season. And he's earned it. Like you said, it's like you can talk about maybe like the start of the career for BJ Hill who had five and a half sacks as a rookie, or you can talk about like the start. I'm just thinking, and that was a third round pick. I'm thinking round four or later. Like you can think about maybe like Shane Lemieux, I guess some players like that essentially Um, can't trying to look through some of these day three, day four picks like Darius Slayton, for example, as a rookie. You want to talk about day three picks, I'd say Darius Slayton. If you want to go back far, Ahmad Bradshaw now didn't really start. Yeah, Bradshaw and Boss. Right. Low Bills game, which was late in the season. I think it was like week 16, but that was a huge, that was huge contributions down the stretch of the season. 
And even with those guys, like and for those guys, they 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 are the guys ahead of them on the depth charts. But as far as like Slayton goes, there were still some moments of inconsistency during his rookie season. The thing with Bellinger that stands out to me is the consistency factor right now. And that's probably what has me most excited about him continuing to trend up as a gem and not be someone who falls out of the mix. I think it's a product of the offense and also obviously a testament to the kid, not taking anything away from him, but we've seen how Kafka designs the tight end to be an easy check down safety valve for Daniel Jones. And like we said, there's a lot of plays designed for him in the red zone, but how many times is he blocking, chipping and releasing and then finding the space? His spatial awareness is excellent for a rookie. It's insane. It's, it's insane to see, but I think Kafka coming from, Kansas City, where they have quite the tight end there. I think he does a very good job finding ways to utilize his tight end position. And Bellinger hasn't really made any mistakes. <laughs> so That's just the thing, right? You really like it's crazy to go six games and maybe I'm sure there's been a couple here or there. But that's real. It's on one hand. You can count on one hand. And considering how many opportunities he's had to make a mistake already through six games, considering how often they're playing him and all these high leverage blocking situations they're putting him. And in, in, in addition to that, insanely high leverage pass catching situations. They're utilizing him a lot in the red zone. He could have a drop here or there, right? He could not settle in, as Jones said, find the knack for space. And that's also a skill set that's hard to kind of gauge, by the way. I think he might just be really good at like Zach Ertz has made a career of like beating yes. zone and finding ways to beat zone. Like that's a great just, example, Dan. Right? It's like Ertz is, a, Ertz is a good example of that. And he could, that's not really measured. You can't come into the NFL and do a combine to figure out who's good at finding spaces in zone and getting on the right page of the quarterback. As you mentioned with the Bellinger touchdown, now Jones and Bellinger were on the exact right page there, Daniel. Daniel, I love saying Daniel here. There's a lot of good Dans in the world. Um, anyway, you can talk about that, right? But that's not something you can judge. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, Frank Bellinger tweeted us last week. He's like, from, he's had a quote from his son, Daniel Bellinger, and shout out Frank Bellinger, Daniel's dad, who I think follows us on Twitter, or at least interacts with us a ton, me and Nick. He said, a quote from Daniel, I love blocking. And then today, after the game, Bellinger himself was like, yeah, dude, I just love blocking. I really enjoy it. Like, he enjoys the blocking. No offense, Evan Ingram never enjoyed blocking. I love the guy. He tried his hardest to block for the Giants. He really did give effort. It wasn't an effort issue for, but it wasn't, it wasn't an effort issue for Ingram, but at the same time, his effort wasn't the reason why he was a good or bad blocker, if that makes any sense. Like he didn't love blocking, right? No one on the Giants like from, from would say that he loved blocking. Daniel Bellinger loves blocking. And so that's a great sign. He's going to be a good blocker if you love to do it. He was an Aztec, man. He went to San Diego State. They block the heck out of their tight ends, man. And that's another reason why we love this pick, too. We're like, oh, he's going to be a good run blocker. It's going to be a stark difference from what we saw here at Evan Ingram. And I agree with everything you said. I think Evan Ingram actually developed as a blocker his time here, but he was still not a plus in that area. And it's hard to find a plus in that area because, like we always say, Mike Mayock says, you got to lose slow enough. Well, Daniel Bellinger isn't just losing slow enough. He's actually winning some of his matches, yeah. especially when they were against second level defenders and not edge rushers because he's tasked the block like 260, 265 pound guys sometimes. And in those situations, he's losing slow enough to spring a Saquon Barkley 60 yard run. Exactly. You nailed it. So Bellinger, someone we're incredibly high on after this game. I want to talk a little bit about the debut of one, not the debut, but what I consider to be the debut of Wondell Robinson since he only played a few snaps before the injury in week one. So this is stats according to Dwayne McFarlane. Wondell Robinson was on the field for 35% of passing plays, which, you know, people are like, oh, he didn't play that much. That's fine. That was probably by design. But he delivered an eye-popping 36% target rate, targets per route run, and a 9.3 A dot. 
The Giants are not a team that has had any kind of day dot in their passing game. It's been like around, it's been hovering around five for most of the season overall. 9.3 A dot, 36% target per route run rate. Crazy stuff there. What it tells me, dude, is it's pretty clear this role is going to expand very soon in the passing game for Wandell Robinson. The passing attack on the New York Giants is going to run through Wandell Robinson. Like it's going to be the Richie James roll on steroids and he looked good out there man he looks fast he looked explosive acceleration all the athletic traits popped out to me i will say though this is something we've brought up before he does look small i'll I'll give him he he, he's small he's never gonna grow it's fine like he (laughs) he looks small out there but despite that he was still adjusting to footballs he he dropped the one on on third down which which is okay it's gonna happen but he's adjusting to footballs and he's making tough catches in in tight traffic and i and i think his role is going to do nothing but expand here and i'll say this about the drop on third down i do think that is partly a traits based drop for me at least because size plays a factor there for sure it's less of a cash radius to make that play. Also, I've never felt like watching his film at Kentucky he was the best hands catcher. I didn't think he was the most natural hands. That was a good example of that. He let that get in on him and on his helmet. Now, I still think those types of throws should be a little ahead of the receiver, if I'm going to be completely honest. I don't love the ball placement where it was, and that's been something that on some of those throws Dan, Dan Jones has kind of put it in that spot, but it still is in a spot where it has to be caught. Regardless of if that's a perfect ball placement or not, it has to be caught when it goes through your, when you adjust to it, it goes through your hands, hits your helmet. But that's just something that, you know, he'll probably work on. And, and that may just be part of his profile, but that doesn't define him. Having plays like that is not going to define a player if they're, if they're a contributor or not. Like if you look at the total stat sheet of today, or not the stat sheet, if you look at the total film, as we go back on it later this week, Nick, or tomorrow, we're going to be like, there were more positive plays from Wanda Robinson than negative ones. And more important than that, it's alarming the rate he was targeted in his first game back per route basis and where he was targeted with the A dot and the A dot is average depth of target. Yeah. And we got to even factor in the fact that his touchdown was like what, like a, a short one right. yard down the so, target. Right. Exactly. exactly. That lowers the average depth of target. And we didn't even see him in the backfield. I don't think no, right? that's coming that's, too. Yeah. That's going to come. Like you're going to see sets with Saquon Barkley and Wondell Robinson in the backfield. And think about that. You split back with Daniel Jones, who's a good athlete in his own right those linebackers, you're going to need that defense to be in a personnel grouping, like a dime or, or something. They're going to need to have a lot of light personnel out there because you could exploit those linebackers if they are in man coverage and you align it in some sort of coverage where you have Wanda Robinson back there with Saquon oh, Barkley. Yeah. Good luck, linebacker. Oh, my God. And just think about the plays where they're going to have fake handoff to Bar- Barkley, Wondell in motion, Barkley or Barkley in motion, fake handoff to Barkley, fake pitch to, to Rondell, roll out Daniel Jones. Now most defenders are already taken away from the play because of Robinson and Barkley. Once again, we get that one-on-one with Jones. He can either throw the pass to the outside run or now look what happened. Daniel Bollinger's blocking and then he kind of go- releases off the block and now you have the wide open five-yard throw. It just... It's hard to stop this offense in my mind from a theoretical standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, when you start to get those players into the mix, like a Robinson, like when you have Robinson and Barkley on the field at the same time, and you can kind of use them to kind of get the defense's attention and direction or give it to them. You know, sometimes you're going to give it to them and that's cool too. I saw a tweet last week and I can't remember who, who tweeted it, but regardless, I think the giants offense right now is going to get, offensive coaches fired around the NFL. They continue to win because literally though, they're going to like owners are going to look and be like Brian Dable and this Mike Kafka guy are, are doing this with Daniel Jones and, and a bunch of young receivers or unproven receivers or unathletic receivers and a, 
average offensive line at best. Why aren't you doing it? And we're kind of seeing it in the play calling, right? Not even just the play calling, but the play designs, like really all of it. it it's bearing out right now to say like the Giants, and we've said this plenty of times, but I will reiterate, are such a plus. They're an A plus, they're a double plus <laughs> from a coaching standpoint. And I think you're going to look around, like look at like Luke Getze and like how he's using like Justin Fields and stuff like that. And you're like, is that really like, like, is that the best way to use that individual? I don't know. And I think owners are going to be like, well, why the heck am I paying this guy when I can just go and maybe hire this guy or right. get an offensive mind that's a little bit more progressive than than what I'm dealing with right now? That's a great take. And that the, these are things we'll tackle in the offseason as well, obviously, because we'll talk about not only the impact they have on other coaches being, but also, you know, these guys will probably be hot candidates, especially Mike Kafka. That's that's the one I'm most worried about losing, even though at this point, Wink is obviously making just as strong a case, to be completely honest, despite the fact that he's an older guy. One thing that's going to work in his favor, I think, if he does get an opportunity, is these players love to play for Wink. It's not just like, oh, the Giants are five and one. All the players are saying great things about the coaches. No, no, no. You listen to the Baltimore Ravens players talk about Wink Barndale, both before this week and the pre and, and the pregame stuff, and then post game today. The reverence they have for Wink Martindale, it's astounding. They love this dude. Like, he's a cool cat is basically what they He's an older, cool cat type of dude, and they love having him. I mean, they love being coached by him, and these current guys on the Giants love being coached by him, too. It's a really good situation, and, but that also means he can appeal to more players and is a better co head coaching candidate overall. So, you know, we'll, we'll tackle that as it goes, Nick, but that will certainly be something that will – if the Giants continue to win games, that's obvious. It's just such an insane sport. The fact that the Giants are five and one after being yep. so pathetic for so long, because that's what they were. And you know what? Like I said, this this Jacksonville and Seattle. I'm not sleeping on those teams. That's yeah. those those could be very difficult matchups. But right now, with the Giants' framework that they have in place, as we said last week, it's they um they can win any football game. Like they're they're, they're a tough team. They're a team that yeah. other teams do not want to play. And three weeks ago, they were a team that everybody was circling saying, yeah, yeah, let's, let's play that. That's that's how quick this turnaround was. And that was one of the main things you talked about in the offseason when we talked about like, oh, the Giants schedule is so easy. It's the easiest schedule ever. Look at how easy the schedule is. And you're like, well, everyone feels like that about the Giants when they see them on the schedule. Like we can't <laughs> yeah. circle these as bad teams because the Giants are a bad team. But that's just no longer the case anymore. The Giants are quite clearly not a bad team. They're a team that is going to fight in every game. And even when they go down by a lot they're going to have a chance to win a game. That's the difference between them and a lot of the teams around the NFL right now. To be completely honest, when the when the, when the 49ers went down today against the Falcons, they had no chance of getting back into that football game. They didn't. They didn't come close. They didn't get back in that game. And they're a team that's considered by most people right now, they would consider the 49ers to be a much better team than the Giants, right? If you ask the average NFL fan right now, who's better, the Niners or the Giants? I'm sure it's like 80% Niners, the public. But I'm not so sure that's actually the case because the thing is, like, these coaching edges that we're getting and just the ability to have this team that's so resilient and fight back like this makes a big difference in who's going to win and lose these games. There's such small margins for winning and losing. Absolutely, Dan. Think about it this way. Yeah. What have, what have we said about Daniel Jones, who has been much maligned his time here in New York? We said, what do we want from Daniel Jones in order for us to want to keep him? Now, some a lot of this is on Daniel Jones. A lot of this is on coaching. But we said we want him to lead multiple fourth quarter comebacks against good teams and, and put the team on his back to, to help win the football game. That dude has done that three separate times against the number one seed in the AFC last year, the number one seed in the NFC last year and the Baltimore Ravens. 
So that needs to be acknowledged. Okay. Like, and, and again, a lot of it is also coaching. It's a collective, it, a collective. It's not just Daniel Jones, but the big weak point about this New York Giants team heading into the season was Daniel Jones. So it was one of the big weak points. And I still don't think Daniel Jones is Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, like we said before, but he did that. And he has that within his arsenal now. And that's something that we wanted to see from him. And I think that's something that, that I'm looking at right now, heading into week seven next week. And I'm like, this team is real right now. This team is for real. This team is a playoff team. I think you're right. And I think that maybe we should have started the podcast or gotten to this before, like almost an hour and a half in because he's such an important factor in like winning and losing football games. But Daniel Jones is playing really good football right now. There's no real way around it. Um, okay, sure, you can say he's not playing at the level of Mahomes and Allen. That's just the facts of the situation. Those guys are at another level of quarterbacking. But having said that, those two drives, the, the, the Titans one's a little different because it was mostly just Saquon Barkley. But these 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 two past two games, the Ravens and the and and the Packers, those are drives that he had to make big throws in. You're talking about third and twelves, third and fourteens, third and fifteens, and these are deliveries. The ball's on time. The ball's compact. The ball placement is good. He drives the football. He's doing better with his pocket manipulation. And the cherry on top of all this, Nick. Oh, go ahead. You dive in real quick. I was just going to say, and yeah. I think you're going to say it right here. Let's see if our mind meld is as strong yeah. as I believe. He's not turning the football over, yes. at least not in a meaningful that, manner. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. he had to fumble before the half. I don't I don't really care about that at all. Like the David Sills interception, I don't care about that at all. And I'm one that it will chastise the heck out of Daniel Jones if I feel like he deserves to be chastised. But he is taking care of the football so far this season, other than the Frankie Louvu situation in week two that did not get intercepted, and then the the Imani Hooker interception in week one. Other than those two plays, this guy has been pretty damn good with the football. And yeah, I know he had a sack fumble in week one as well, where I think Evan Neal got beat really bad, but still, I don't, that's not a huge referendum on Daniel Jones, in my opinion. So the kid's playing right now. The kid's playing well, and you know, he deserves his, he deserves his praise, man. Rebel in the moment there, bub. And the mind meld, meld is correct because that's exactly what I was going to say. You nailed it, Nick. Um, yeah. And look, I still think the fumbles are, are not completely fixed to be completely honest. He did have one. They recovered earlier, but one thing of what I was going to say more specifically for me is the turnover worthy throws are just so far down than they've ever been in his career. And a lot of people were saying like, Oh, cause they've trended down every year of his career from 2019. They trended down to 2020. Then they got even better in 2021. And then they got even better this year so far in 2022, which by the way, just says a lot about the quarterback prospect in general. If you just look at it, like, 30,000 foot view just from a box, from a stat sheet standpoint, like when you could bring your turnover worthy plays down in four straight seasons, you're making progress. But a lot of people speculated that, okay, well, a lot of the reason why the turnovers were so down in 2020 and 2021 was just because of this style of offense, like this conservative style of offense. It's not like this is the most aggressive offense, but they're asking him to make a lot more difficult throws and to make more timely throws this year than they had with Jason Garrett. So it's not even like, Oh, the excuse of, Oh, well it was because he was playing within a system that really just was trying to move this, move the chain spacing routes, three plays, 10 yards. No, no, no. They're now trying again, not to throw into too many difficult situations, but they're throwing the football a lot differently and a lot more vertically at times than they have in the past. And so that's the difference for me, man. He's done a much better job with the football than my opinion at any point in his career. I would agree. I would 100% agree, and I, and I hope it continues, and I think that's yes. the main thing at this point is you need to see a level of consistency with it because it's still a long season. It, it, it is, man. There's still yeah. a lot of football to be played. It's just the beginning. The Giants are 5-1. and one. That's an excellent start. I think Brian Dable, the head coach, obviously, would be the first person to say, hey, 
still got a long way to go. You know, we haven't really done anything yet. We got to continue to earn it. We got to continue to prepare. And that's exactly what we want from this coaching staff. And we need Daniel Jones to continue to play the way that he's playing. And if he does continue to play that way, man, we're going to have a great conversation (laughs) come the end of the season. Yeah, you're right. And there was an interesting stat I saw um, about how the Giants, I'm trying to find it now, are one of the few teams in history that has started five and one. I'm trying to see if I can find it as I talk through this. I've started five and one, but they've all been one. Okay. So teams in NFL history that have started five and one while their first six games were all one possession games, Nick. There's only been four teams in history. This is according to Greg Harvey on Twitter. There's only been four teams in history. The one most recent one was the 2020 Bears. I think that was the double doink Bears, uh, if I if I remember correctly, that 2020 Bears. And so, you know, like you said, it's I only bring this up to say, look, it's still a long season. They're five and one. They still have room room. They still have areas where they want to improve, and they'll they'll tell you that right after the game. They don't want to start slow every week, right? They're, this is not what they want to do. They want to be able to get off to a good start. Obviously, something they haven't done as well on offense, but. It's just interesting to see that they've been able to really take such a small margin for error and be on the right side of it so often. Some people may say that's variants that come back couldn't come back to haunt them. What I say to that is they could still improve so much as a team that they won't leave as much room for variants moving forward. I still think that's in play as well. I think it's a little both. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that it's a little both. I mean, Randy Bullock makes the field goal in week one. The Giants don't have five wins right now. Like, let's be let's be honest here. But at the same time, I think you're a hundred percent right to say the Giants are going to get players who are injured back and they're going to continue to grow within the framework of Brian Dable's office. Now I'm knocking on wood right now. Hopefully other players do not go down with injury. That's another big part of this, right? but I think you're right. There's still a lot of room for growth as Dable said in his press, in his press conference after the game too. So I think just, this is a week by week thing. We're going to keep looking at, but you would have asked me three weeks ago, Hey, Giants are going to win the next two games after the Chicago one. I'd be like, beat Green Bay, beat Baltimore. I would have been like, over the moon, Dan. I would have been over the moon. And here we are, you know, two weeks later. They won both those games. Yeah, you nailed it. And one of those things is, or at least in my opinion, as far as the variance argument goes, it's like, well, the commander of the offense, Daniel Jones, is not leaving a lot of room for variance. That's also part of it. You know, what leads to variance? Throwing turnover-worthy throws. What leads to variance? Sitting in the pocket to a point where you could get strip sacked. But he's being way more decisive. He's moving through his reads faster. He's resetting his pocket better. He's doing all the things. And as he continues to progress, that gives me more hope that the offense is going to progress. The fact that I've seen improvement, specifically like the stretch the from Dallas to now, that's where I've seen the most improvement out of Daniel Jones and specifically these last two weeks. So there's like levels of the improvement, which is, makes me even more confident, right? Weeks one and two. Okay. He puts together those game film. Then he makes the jump, in my opinion, in Dallas, which people don't think was a jump game for him because it wasn't really a good offensive game for the Giants. But when you consider that he was pressured more than any quarterback in a single game and just how the game actually played out, it was a big jump game for him. And then he takes an even bigger jump, I think, in week five last week against the Packers and then follows it up with a similar performance against the Ravens. That's the whole thing. They're on the trajectory from the quarterback position, the one that matters almost to everything as far as the ceiling of this offense goes for the rest of the year. And that's that's going upward. And that, to me, is something that stands out for sure. I'm excited. I'm excited to yeah. see if he can continue to do this because it's if he can, it's, it's going to be a great time in New York. And I'll and I'll, I'll I'll say this: we can do a couple final notes here, Nick. We're running a little bit long, but I don't think anybody would complain about that after a game like this. It's definitely fun to talk about the Giants right now. Evan Neal, a player we're going to want to probably give most of our takes on after watching the film. I think at least from just the broadcast angle, he had a pretty damn good game today. 
Seemed like it to me. It definitely yeah. seemed like it to me. So that's a, definitely a huge bounce back. I, I saw the Giants like shift help in his direction, whether it be a wing or Saquon Barkley. And we'll see how much of that impacted what he did when he was taking traditional pass sets and things like that. But overall, it seemed like to me, he definitely had a step in the right direction and he needed one because he wasn't playing all that well. Yeah. And I'm excited to look at that film, especially if it ends up being what you just pointed out the case, the case ends up being, he did actually take that step because that could be a really good sign for things going forward. If that's the type of step that it's just like technique based, he's worked on it, he's improved it. Um, and he can bring it over and carry it over to the, to, to the, to the coming games. Yeah. I can't wait to see one other note on the injuries. I thought stands out to me a little bit, Nick, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on Andrew Thomas goes down with a bit of an injury. It looks like comes back, plays through it after the game. He's like, don't worry. I'll be fine. He's going to play through it. Saquon Barkley in obvious pain. I mean, whoever's yeah. watching the game could see him through his helmet, how his reaction was after injuring the shoulder. Screw it. I'm back in the game. I'm coming back in the game after a series. I'm playing through it. Part of like playing for the part of what's so magical right now, at least it feels about this Giants team is they're playing through injuries too. Like these players want to be out there for this team. They want to fight for this team. They believe in this team. And that leads to the situations where like, these guys might be hurt and playing through these injuries. I'm not saying they went in the past, but when you're two and six or whatever, and you're just like a hopeless team, you might not want to play through an injury. You might actually think about it as a business decision right now. They're thinking about it as like, these are my guys. I want to fight for them. I want to give them everything I can, both the coaches and the players that we play with. And you're seeing just so many examples of these guys coming back and playing through injuries pretty fast. They ball bought in. Yeah. And like, I, you can understand it too, right? Like you want to be out there for your guys. You want to be the one out there running the football and doing what Brian Dable is telling you to do. You don't want to put somebody else in that position, not just because you're going to lose your job. Obviously, Saquon Barkley is not going to lose his job, but you want to be one of the primary reasons that your team wins. And it's not about you necessarily, but it's about the team. And you feel like you can put the team into the position to win. And exactly. in the case of Saquon Barkley, he easily is that type of player. Yeah, you nailed it. All right. We've talked about Barkley. We've talked about Jones. We've talked about Bellinger, Wondell Robinson. Evan Neal a little bit. Some of the defensive players we'll get to more on the defensive podcast. A lot of big picture stuff too. Anything you had, you felt like we didn't get a chance to touch on that you had in your mind. I cannot wait for the film. No, I'm just ready to rock that guys. Everybody giants nation five and one amazing time. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. I don't even know what to say anymore, dude. It's just like totally insane that the giants are five yeah. and one. And like, we win all these games. Like I'm watching this game today, the game last week against the Packers. It's like, we're winning. We win these games. I just, just, I just can't even imagine what it feels like for these players and for these coaches and mostly for the players who have been there through like the bad times. It's just like the example of a team turning around. And for us on our end as fans and analysts, it's just totally unexpected and just keep the ride going. It's been an amazing run. We were playing with house money already today. It felt like Nick, like, I honestly went into this game like I predicted we'd win because I just had a feeling, but I was like, they even if they lose this game, I just don't really care. They're five and they're they're four and two, and it's the Ravens, one of their harder games on the schedule. Whatever. But they end up winning these house money games too. It's like, well, if they're gonna win the house money games, what games are they gonna lose? You almost start to think like they could win, like you said earlier, they can win any game they're in. And that's such a crazy great feeling for a fan to be in right now. Part of that is look, the NFL is is not great this year from a top heavy standpoint. Like to me, the best teams are the Eagles, the, the Chiefs, and the Bills by far. It's like a clear three, um, and I would say there's a drop off to that. But like, even with that three, I do honestly feel like the Giants are scrappy enough to potentially put up a fight against any of those teams, which is crazy. It is crazy, but I do I don't believe it's homerism. You know, I think it's no. realistic. 
Yeah, there's been enough examples. The sample size is growing to a point where there's enough that we can feel that way. So anyway, it's awesome. Giants fans, we'll talk to you more this week. It's going to be another jam-packed week. These win weeks are just so much more fun than the losing weeks. Hard to even explain, but for a little bit of a preview of the schedule, we are going to do the Offensive Film Podcast tomorrow night. Maybe a little earlier, hopefully, than usual. So you can look for that earlier, maybe in the night. It's still late, but just earlier Nick's time and earlier my time. We operate on two different time zones here, me and Nick. Or Nick and I, damn, I did it again. One of these days, <laughs> that'll be like a 100% clip where I never miss that. And hopefully, just the effort alone will get that four-star review changed to a five-star review. You know I care a lot about that stuff, Nick. You know, recently we had a one-star review where someone said, all these guys do is trash Daniel Jones. I was like, it happened really? like this week. I was like... What the? F- we just spent like an hour and a half on the all film podcast from the Packers game praising Daniel Jones in detailed ways that probably no other podcast did. But nope, all we do is trash him. So you never make everyone happy, but I'm trying to improve the Nick and I thing for sure. So we're going to have that. We're going to have the defensive film breakdown a day after. We're going to have another preview podcast this week. We haven't really figured out who yet, but someone fun will be on and probably hopefully we can get someone like a Ken type. That was just, I just love talking ball with Cammy Cusick this week. But we will go ahead and preview the Jaguars game. I have some ideas in mind. We might have somebody make a, a, a second appearance, a friend of the show. Uh, she's been looking to really have, have, a, have a second appearance on the show and, and dive into some of the film. So maybe we can get her on again, um, talking Jags, Giants. We'll do some mail. I think we should do another mailbag. Those are fun to do. You guys can give us any ideas, too, that you want. We might do like just an overall kind of feeling and thoughts on the Giants, too, because there's just still going to be a lot to talk about this week, Nick. It's insane. This is the second week in a row, dude, where every single one of the pregame analysts chose the other team. They did it for the Packers game across the board. Packers did it for the Ravens game across the board. Ravens. The Ravens were five point favorites to start the week or five and a half and moved all the way to six and a half. That means all the sharp money came in on the Ravens. They felt like they're getting an edge betting the Ravens here, giving the points. And what's the result? Another win for the Giants. I love it, Dan. You know what? I want a Denny's breakfast just slapped on my face because I picked the Ravens to win this football game too. So, you know, Denny's breakfast, egg all over my face. I will embrace that every week. I just can't believe we're at the point where we're considering picking the, these games as wins. And then it's right. It's right. We picked a win. It's right. So, or one of us did. And you'll get the one next week. It'll be interesting to see the Jaguars game. The Giants are, like I said earlier, dude, they're, they're underdogs in that game, which again is weird from a standpoint of they're five and one. The Jaguars are two and four. Well, you also got to think about it, and it's really weird just the way the schedule played out because the game in London wasn't a true home game for Green Bay. Mm-hmm. They've only had one away true game. Road. It was yeah. week one, which is kind of a different type of situation. True. So this is going to be their first away game, actual away game in somebody else's house. Luckily, it's Jacksonville who doesn't have like the most potent fan base, but still, like it's still like a it's going to be like a dangerous environment where it's going to be loud on third yeah. down and stuff like that. And they only have a week to prepare, like week one they had so long in right. there so that, that sure. is a little bit different yeah, and that's probably being baked in for sure for that and the jaguars really need the other thought it's like at least the sports game uh, odds makers from their standpoint it's like the jaguars really need this game the giants maybe could overlook them but i don't think this is that's the other thing with this coaching dude i don't think this is like a giant team that's like overlooking anyone right we're not at that we're not we're not that type of team that's gonna be overlooking we know that every game is a dog fight I love what John Ward said, man. We'll close out on that. John Ward's like, this was a legit fight out there. This is a dog fight out there. And we won that fight. And that's how it felt. It was a real battle by the Giants. A gritty, grindy win. So just what you want to say.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.